Section 9 of Ontario Public School Geography. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Doug Shepherd. Ontario Public School Geography by the Educational Book Company of Toronto. Section 9 Introductory The Atmosphere, Winds, and Rain. The Atmosphere. The whole surface of the earth is surrounded by air. This covering of air is called the atmosphere. The atmosphere is not of very great depth if compared with the size of the whole earth. It extends for probably 200 miles above the surface of the earth. The air is heaviest or densest right at the surface of the earth. It becomes thinner or rarer very rapidly with increasing height above the earth. Mountain climbers and aviators have found that the air is so rare, at a height of even three or four miles above the sea level, that they have some difficulty in breathing. The temperature of the air is highest close to the surface of the earth. Aviators who fly at great heights must wear warm clothing to withstand the cold of the upper air levels. Lofty mountains are capped with perpetual snow, even though situated as many of them are, in the tropical regions. Winds. The air is never still. There is a continuous interchange of the air close to the earth's surface with the air at higher levels. We cannot feel these vertical movements of the air, and when they are occurring we say that there is a calm. The air also moves horizontally over the surface of the earth. Then we can both feel it and see its effects upon the objects around us. The horizontal movements of the air we call winds. It may seem to you that nothing can be more variable than the wind, which, quote, bloweth where it listeth, unquote. Yet the winds are due to certain definite causes and follow in the main certain general courses. There are two essential things to remember. The first is that air, when heated, expands, becomes lighter, and therefore rises, while air, when cooled, becomes heavier and tends to sink toward the earth. An area in which the air is comparatively light is called an area of low pressure. An area in which the air is comparatively heavy is called an area of high pressure. The second essential point to keep in mind is that the air always tends to move from an area of high pressure toward an area of low pressure. We have seen that the torrid zone is the only region on which the sun's rays ever strike vertically. The vertical rays of the sun pass across this zone twice a year. Therefore, there is a belt of light, heated air girdling the earth in the region of the equator. This belt will shift a little from north to south and back again as the vertical rays move across the zone. The heated air in it is continually rising. Since this vertical movement of the air cannot be felt, an area of calm results. This area is called the doldrums. It was much disliked by sailors before steamships made them independent of the wind. A ship caught in the doldrums might be held for weeks, while the sails flapped idly on the yards and the crew whistled for a breeze. The doldrums form an area of low pressure, while the cooler air to the north and south forms two areas of comparatively high pressure. Consequently, there is a constant flow of air from these areas toward the equator. In the southern hemisphere, the flow comes from the southeast. In the northern hemisphere, 
from the northeast. The winds which result are the steadiest in the world. They were of such great use to sailors in the days of sailing ships that they were called trade winds. Since winds are named from the direction from which they come, these are called the southeast trades and the northeast trades, respectively. The former blows over a belt to the south of the equator about 2,000 miles wide. The latter blows over a belt of equal width to the north of the equator. During our summer time, the northeast trades are felt farther north than during the winter. What is the reason for this? How do the southeast trades vary with the seasons? As the trade winds approach the doldrums, they become warmer, and the air forming them tends to rise. Then, in the area bordering the central belt of calms, they die away in fitful breezes. The air which rises in the doldrums spreads out at a high level, and flows north and south over the top of the trade winds. At last it reaches the area from which the trade winds begin to move toward the equator. There it sinks to the earth to take the place of the air flowing toward the equator. Since there is no wind where the movement of the air is vertical, there is a belt of calms marking the northern limit of the northeast trades, and another at the southern limit of the southeast trades. These areas are called the horse latitudes. They lie a little to the north of the Tropic of Cancer and a little to the south of the Tropic of Capricorn. In addition to the doldrums, there are two other great areas of comparatively low pressure. One is north of the horse latitudes in the northern hemisphere, and the other south of the horse latitudes in the southern hemisphere. Consequently, there is a fairly steady flow of air from the horse latitudes toward the poles as well as toward the equator. In the northern hemisphere, the flow comes from the southwest, and the southern hemisphere from the northwest. The winds which result are commonly known as the prevailing westerlies. The prevailing westerlies blow over nearly the whole surface of the temperate zones. They are more variable than the trade winds, particularly in the northern hemisphere where there is a great deal of land. The effect of large bodies of land upon winds is the next thing to be considered. Land heats more quickly than water and to a far higher temperature when exposed to an equal amount of sunshine. If you have lain upon a river bank or lakeshore after swimming, you will agree that this is true. Land also cools more quickly than water. You can see at once what the result of this must be. The air lying over the land tends to become an area of comparatively low pressure during the summer time and an area of high pressure during the winter. Consequently, in the higher latitudes, where the difference in temperature between bodies of land and water is most marked, the wind blows from the ocean toward the land during the summer and from the land toward the ocean during the winter. This is true to a certain degree of all the continents. The finest examples of such winds are the monsoons, which blow over part of Asia. In the summertime, the vast central plateau of Asia becomes excessively hot, and the air above it forms a great area of low pressure. Consequently, from May to September, the wind blows steadily toward the continent from the Indian Ocean on the south and from the Pacific Ocean on the east. The winter monsoons blow just as steadily from the continent toward the oceans from November to February. Rain You have often seen a washing put out on the line to dry. The clothes, even after being wrung out, are still wet to the sight and to the touch. 
but as you know, after an hour or two in the air and sunshine, they are quite dry. The water which was in the wet clothes has passed into the air in the form of water vapor, which, like the air itself, cannot be seen. Since clothes dry most rapidly on warm, sunny days, we may safely infer that warm, dry air takes up moisture more rapidly than cool, damp air. You have doubtless noticed the little beads of moisture that on a hot summer day gather on the surface of a pitcher filled with cold water. Probably you have wondered what caused them to gather there. They have come out of the air. The warm air of summer always contains more or less water vapor. When the air is cooled by coming in contact with the cold pitcher, the water vapor turns to liquid water and gathers in droplets on the surface of the pitcher. From this we may learn two important facts. Warm air takes up or absorbs water in the form of vapor. The water vapor turns again into liquid or condenses when the air is cooled. Let us see now whether we can apply this knowledge. Keep in mind these two important facts. The warmer the air, the more water vapor it can hold. When the air is cooled, this moisture condenses, and it appears as rain, or snow, or dew, or fog. In the tropics, where the heat is greatest, the rainfall is very heavy. The heated air absorbs a great deal of moisture. As this moisture-laden air rises, it becomes cooled. Then the water vapor condenses and falls in heavy showers upon the earth. We have already seen that the belt of greatest heat shifts north and south of the equator with the vertical rays of the sun. In this hot belt, showers of rain are of a daily occurrence. Explain now why the land of the Negroes in equatorial Africa has a rainy season and a dry season, instead of summer and winter. The trade winds blow toward the equator. They grow warmer as they approach it, and so they absorb the moisture during the whole of their journey. This is not condensed until the air rises and is cooled above the central hot belt. Consequently, the trades are dry winds and bring no rain to the lands over which they blow, unless there are mountains in their path. Then the wind is forced to higher levels, becomes cooler, and gives a copious rainfall to the land lying upon the windward side of the mountains. When the trades have come a long distance over land, they become so dry that instead of bringing moisture, they rob the land of the little it possesses. The parched ground is bare except for scattered plants of the few varieties which can live with very little moisture. Such an area is called a desert. The greatest desert in the world is the Sahara Desert in North Africa. It lies in the path of the northeast trades. Winds which blow over the ocean toward the land reach it well laden with moisture. If these winds are cooled sufficiently to cause condensation, heavy rains result. In Ontario, the usual westerly breezes are sometimes interrupted by steady east winds, which bring heavy rain with them. These east winds bring some of the water of the Atlantic Ocean for hundreds of miles to let it fall at last upon the broad fields of the province. You have read of the monsoons of Asia. They, too, bring with them the priceless gift of rain. Before the summer monsoons begin to blow, the fields of India and China are parched and dry. Then comes the wind from the great oceans. The rain falls heavily over the land and waters the crops, which nourish hundreds of millions of people. Unhappy indeed is the land where the monsoons are weak. Then the crops fail, and famine takes its toll of the crowded population. The winds, as you have seen, hold within their grasp 
the power to make a garden or a desert. End of section 9. Recording by Doug Shepherd.